Exploding Erica's podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond, Erica Finn. Welcome to tonight's show. I am sitting here with Bryce Rhinus in his dressing room. He is currently playing Miss Trunchball, the villainous headmistress in the Broadway musical Matilda. Hi, Bryce. Hello. Thanks <laughs> Good to for be here with me. you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Uh, it was great seeing you in the show the other week. Thank uh, you. It was my first time seeing it. Oh, good. Yeah, and I loved it. Nice. Um, and I was looking to see it. I'm like, he's a big guy. How big is he going to be? There's definitely some padding in that yeah. in that costume. You're, you're a tall guy. But, there's a whole apparatus yeah, that allows me to be yeah. and there's more like, hefty than I Yeah, and like. chesty, too. Like, yeah. what... What's in there? Bowling balls, <laughs> globes, like you know. To be totally, balloons. to be totally honest, um, as I was, uh, once I got the job and, and started into rehearsal, the creative team was really intentional about being, hey, like let's keep the secrets the secrets. Mm-hmm. The magician never reveals their tricks, and, and it keeps that air of mystery about okay. like how is it that, which. I think it's so fun. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. So the short answer is, I'm not going to tell You're you. You're not going to tell me? Okay. All, I, all, <laughs> all I have been clearance to say is it's a whole apparatus that uh-huh. is very comfortable. It's okay, not... It is comfortable. Okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> as in as much as taking someone who weighs like around 170 pounds and then turning them into look, they look like they weigh like maybe 320, mm-hmm. um, as comfortable as that can yeah. be, but it's, that's definitely hefty. We got to see, we had like an aisle seat and it's great because mm-hmm. I love how they use the aisles so much in this show yeah. and I got to see you run past and yeah. <laughs> and you look under my skirt. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that was you. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. But I want to back up a little bit. Okay. Um, you're originally from Danville. That's right. California. Small town. Uh, it was when I grew up there. I was born in 1980. Um, and from 1980 to about 1992, 93, Danville was like tiny town. I want to say it was 15,000 people. Oh, wow. Um, and then there was a so, huge so kind one of... high school? Uh, there were two high schools, but one was San Ramon Valley High School and one was Monta Vista High School. Oh. And there were kind of a a series of little towns in that immediate proximity. There's Danville, there's Alamo, there's San Ramon, there's Walnut Creek, and they're, they're all kind of about the same size. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so it was very small until about 90, 93. And then, and then the Black Hawk housing development opened and it, the tech boom started. So oh, is it near San Fran? It's 40 minutes. As the crow flies, it's like 25 miles or 28 miles from San Francisco. Okay. But, of course, it's Northern California, so you have to go, like, around a mountain mm-hmm. and then down and then across a bridge. And so it takes about 40 minutes to get into the city, 45 minutes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is it's a suburb of... And I read you were a pretty big sports guy growing up. I was. Yeah. What did you play? Baseball. Baseball. Baseball was my primary sport, um, although I did play soccer briefly. I played football even shorter than soccer. Okay. And then I also, toward the end of high school, started playing water polo. Okay. That was (laughs) There was was a water polo team? There was. (laughs) It was new. Uh It wasn't wasn't quite established yet. (laughs) Right, right, uh, right. But yeah. 
And uh, what, what about baseball were you passionate about? Like, what drew you to that sport? It's kind of the family sport. Mm -hmm. My dad played, my older brother played. His dad like, like played. Professionally or no, no, sorry. Um, the just the the sport of mm -hmm. the sport of my people. Mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. Well, does America's favorite pastime? <laughs> exactly. But you know, sometimes there are football families, and there uh, a lot of people that I know from um, Australia and New Zealand are rugby families, mm -hmm. and there are other sports that exist in these countries, but it's just the. the the sports that those families chose to kind of and then play. You, you when injured yourself. I did. You injured your uh, hand, or yeah, it was uh, it was my left thumb. It was the first game of my freshman year of high school, and I was catching a pitcher that I hadn't um, ever really caught before, and he threw what I didn't. He threw a two seam fastball. I didn't know it at the time, but he actually threw what's called a cutter. So it's a ball that, as it's released because of where you grab it on the baseball and the way that the seams interact with the air, it kind of fades two to three inches, or, or if you're really good, three to four inches off the, off the plate, away from a right-handed hitter. Um, and so I, he threw the ball, and I went to backhand it, and it, it moved and ducked at the same time, and it clipped me right in the thumb and broke I don't remember what the name of the bone is, but it broke it, and it was so painful. Oh. A painful for a number of different reasons, but um, also painful kind of existentially because if I didn't have baseball, like what was I gonna do with all my time? And yeah, um, yeah it was so that was kind of the moment that put me on the track toward singing and performing and stuff like that. Had you ever considered it before? Um, I mean, I grew up singing in church. Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest of four kids, and the, the house rules were we go to church on Sunday mornings, and because you're the fourth, like, you're going this, <laughs> until you're 16, and you can get your own car and then drive somewhere else. Um, so singing was always a part of our family, and there weren't any, like, tone-deaf people. My mom loves music. My dad loves music. And um, my sisters were really into, like, the original... Broadway cast album of Phantom of the Opera and like sure. is and you know kind of the old standbys yeah, in the eighties, yeah. um, and because I was younger and I wanted desperately to be involved in the games, they would okay, Bryce, you're going to stand here and then you, uh, Marius is going to sing this and you just mouth the words and then they get to act out their kind of princess <laughs> fantasies. Or musical theater star fantasies, and I'm like... Did they dress you up, too? Like, uh, basically, had you been in women's clothes before Matilda? Yes. That's the question. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's a there's an iconic family picture of us out on the lawn, my sister Bevan, my sister Natalie, and I, and we're doing gymnastics. We're doing, like, you know, an imaginary gymnastics thing, and there I am in, like, full leotard, <laughs> ready to do a round off or something like that. Right, right. Oh, that's great. I love it. So then after that, like after high school though, you ended up at USC. I did. Which is where you met your wife. That's right. And we were just talking about before uh, the taping that you just celebrated 11 years yeah. of marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. It's amazing. So you met at USC. How, how did you meet? We were in a musical theater performance workshop class. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like a interpreting the song type class that are, that are you know, um, almost epidemic here in the city, but at USC, it was the kind of the only one that they had. It was actually an elective for me. My major was business. I got my degree, Bachelor of Science Business Administration. Then I did a special emphasis program my senior year that was like I had to apply to get in. It was super fancy, and there were 32 students in the program. It was called the Entrepreneur yeah. Program. So you're smarty pants, you're telling us. I was at the time. <laughs> um, uh, 
And um, and we met in that in that class. And so the story goes, I got up and sang on the first day. She had to sing on the first day. I got up and sang, and she said, "Oh, who's that?" And she got up and sang, "Oh, who's that?" And then we sat next to each other as the class progressed. And then she auditioned for the acapella group that I was in. And the first time around, it didn't work out, but just because we didn't take anyone at that moment because it was a really small group and. We wanted to take her, but we also needed to have a guy too. Otherwise, it would be like all girls and like three guys. Was um, that the group that uh, James Snyder was also in? Yes, he was also on my show. Yeah, yes. same time as you. Um, so you he is the... one year behind. Me. Okay. Uh, so interestingly, uh, their big like senior show, mm-hmm. James's, uh, maybe it was his junior year or his senior year, was Oklahoma. Okay. And he played Curly and Meredith, oh, and really? my wife played Laurie. Oh, really? I, I had graduated uh, at, at, uh, already. I want to do like a six degrees of separation. The Broadway and, world is such a small industry. Yeah, and James and I were roommates at USC no. for, I want to say, one or two oh, of the really? years. We were, yeah, he was <laughs> in the acapella group, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So she joined the acapella group, mm-hmm. and then once she was in the acapella group, we started dating, and then we made it official on mm-hmm. January 21st of 2000. How'd you propose? Oh, no, like, made us official boyfriend-girlfriend. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and then we dated for four and a half years. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, um, rush, you're young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she, every, we were both in college, uh-huh, and she was right. going to be in college. And we both had sneaking suspicions that we had kind of, like, found mm-hmm. our, our mate, mm-hmm. our partner. Um, but we were both keenly aware. She comes from a, a, a family with kind of, like, a legacy of divorce and... My family was going through some up and downs, and there's been divorce in my family. So we were both pretty aware that, like, okay, marriage is a really big deal, uh-huh. and we were not in any rush to, to, um, I don't know, to be like overly romantic like that. Uh-huh. Um, but then we, I graduated in 2002, and then she graduated in 2004, and then by. November Thanksgiving 2004 is when we actually got engaged mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving. Oh, um, so we're surrounded by family. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's great. So and, then, and then we ended up getting married about six months later. How'd you celebrate your 11th anniversary? Oh gosh, what do we do? Oh, I. But we went to. We saw She Loves Me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's a great show. Yeah. Um, it was actually funny though. So we went and saw She Loves Me. The show's great. The show's awesome. And we realized, we're like. We have three small children now. And we're like, you know what? Next time we go on a big date, let's go on a date where we're not spending 90% of the date sitting, like, <laughs> looking in a dark theater where we can't talk to each other. We realize we got home. We're like, I don't know anything more about you. you know, you've been together 11 years. You don't need to talk. <laughs> no, you do need to talk. That's the thing. Is that especially with kids in the picture. Yeah. Like, you can go months uh, of just... Names, dates, places, times, appointments, who needs this, making lunches, what are we getting at the grocery store? Like, mm-hmm. the practical aspects sure. of marriage can absolutely overwhelm and dominate. But, you know, the stuff of, like, um, hey, so how is your heart? Like, what what kinds of things are you scared about these days? What kinds of, over the course of the past year, what have you learned about me? And that... Like, that's the kind of stuff oh, you absolutely have to... Yeah. And what we realize is if you spend, you know, two and a half, three hours in the theater, you can't ask those questions. Yeah. <laughs> You're really getting swept away by the narrative. And So what's the key? I mean, in addition to just any marriage being difficult, like you're, you're working oh, six nights yeah, a week, it's yeah, ruling, yeah. you know, like, what is the key to making it work? 
What is the key to making it work? I think that the... Uh, of course, any answer that's going to be on like a podcast show is going to be reductionistic because there have been books and books and books written oh. about this that are two, 300 pages long. I think the key for us, where it all begins, is uh, grace and forgiveness. Uh-huh. It's so... It's way too easy um, to... Uh, relate to your spouse or relate to really anyone out of a place of I'm right or even doing like a bizarrely like backdoor prideful thing of do unto others as you would have them do unto you well if I was in your position I wouldn't do this or if if um, uh, assuming that the person did it to you on purpose assigning intent those are really uh, insidious things in a relationship so extending the other person grace Meredith you when you did that it really hurt me a lot I know it's never your intention to hurt me um, but it did and then it's Meredith's cue to say I'm so sorry that I hurt you that wasn't my intention can you forgive me Uh and then it's my response to say yes I forgive you it's, you know, it always works exactly like, like joy. that. <laughs> well, but that's a, that's a habit that you... No, I'm kidding. But yeah, no, that's a That's great. a communication habit you like have to work sure, on. Because sure. we, we come out of the womb being like, me first, me first. And that <laughs> forgiving of people, being gracious with people, assuming that people... If someone wrongs you, that they're not doing it on purpose. Oh, I think that's like a huge piece of advice for any interaction, yeah. really, with anyone. Yeah, because yeah. that resentment is just powerful and yeah. it builds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about, um, you know, we've been talking about California and meeting your wife, and then you ended up, you, you were you were Roger in the National Tour of Rent. I was. Somewhere in the middle. That's an awesome role. That's like my you know, iconic, like, show from my childhood. Yeah. And then you found yourself in New York. Uh-huh. So was that like a decision to, hey, I'm going to continue with the Broadway, or what Exactly. What here? Yeah, so... Um, did the rent tour for nine months. It was still our first year of marriage. Uh, the show toured through Los Angeles. Um, and so a lot of people saw it when it was at the Pantages Theater. Um, I think we were there in maybe like July or August. And then I wrapped with the tour uh, September 17th or something like that. Um, got back into Los Angeles. And of course, my agents were super excited about me being back in L.A. And so on and so forth. And, I, and there were a few kind of like fancies, like some managers who came to see ran with us at the Pantages and called me in for meetings and so what do you want to do you know here we are you know let's how can we take this momentum and let's do some business and I'll get you a job like you know all the kind of cliche stuff right and I was saying well I'd really like to keep doing theater I think it's fun and Meredith likes doing it too and we're you know and across the board every single one of them was like what are you doing in Los Angeles if you want to do theater, you have to go to New York. You can sort of do theater in Los Angeles, but if you want to do it, if that's something that you want to do professionally, you have to go to New York. And so that the word that came from these industry professionals was of one accord and unanimous and like so kind of like, duh. Uh-huh. Like we took that as a sign of like, okay, maybe this is our, yeah. what do you think? And we got... You know, I remember one meeting where we got back into the car and we're like, what do you think? And we both, in unison, we're like, let's do it. Let's do it now. Because I was, what, 27 and she was 25. And like, what, when else are we going to do it? We have no kids. Uh-huh. We have no debt. We have no, you know, 
I have nothing lined up in Los Angeles, certainly. Right, right. I was right. out on tour for nine months, and my hair looks crazy because I was playing, you know, burnt out <laughs> rock star. Right. Um, and, uh, and so by November 6th, we were living in Woodside. Like, it was so fast, and it was so... Um, uh, like there was, there was kind of a providential aspect to it. Mm-hmm. It was like things kept falling in line for us. To I know. I mean, it. it was a great decision. I mean, there's like a whole long list of Robert. You were in Legally Blonde, Hair, yes. Leap of Faith, First Date, yeah. and of course Matilda. Yeah. Um, so, leaving Matilda aside, what was your favorite show to perform in? Like for real, the, the favorite show that I ever did. Yeah. Favorite show that I ever did yeah. was one of my first professional shows in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he was playing Floyd and Floyd Collins. Okay. It was... Uh, to this well, what about day, it? What about it? Well, I love a challenge. Mm-hmm. And it was the first role where when I got the offer to do the job, my initial reaction was, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And that it went well and that it was mm-hmm. reviewed really well and that you know people really enjoyed it and it was good mm-hmm. production. Like, that's satisfaction that came was just bananas bonkers it was a really validating experience yeah so that's something you go back to sometimes if you have a moment of doubt uh like oh like i'll never work again (laughs) or no i mean just you know i mean any kind of insecurity that anyone yeah certainly like if i'm if i'm getting my head about a performance mm-hmm. or if I'm in the middle of the show being like, you know, listening too closely to the voice that says, you're terrible and everyone's going to figure out you're fraud and everyone's mm-hmm. hating your performance right now. I'll well, abs- Miss Trunchbull is pretty terrible. I'll give her that. It kind <laughs> of works for the character and then there's a point where it becomes totally useless. Right, right. Um, no, what I will do is picture the director of Floyd Collins mm-hmm. sitting in the audience. How would he respond? Mm-hmm. What would he... His name is Richard. His name is Richard Israel. <laughs> and he's like to this day, and I've worked with some kind of fancies when it comes to directors. He to this day was probably, in terms of cr- crafting a professional actor, um, he he's the one whose fingerprint, thumbprint, has remained on my soul for to this day. Do you keep in touch with him? He, loosely, mm-hmm. we didn't become like besties or whatever, but that. Um, professional kinship that we had the simpatico the i did great work he was gentle and kind with me being so green and i think he has really good taste um jack cummings is another one he was the first one to kind of give me a shot here in manhattan um with a piece called crossing brooklyn that was in 2007 Mm -hmm. um diane paulus is another one that was kind of was able to see the the, the, how the, the like weird wacky diamond that exists deep within my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, those specifically Richard, cause he was kind of the first one that ushered me into the next level of performing. Yeah. And then, uh, Diane ushering me into the next level of kind of professionalism and what's possible and then Jack the next level of acting what it means to be an actor what it means to be a present actor what it means to tell a story night after night what kind of growth 
have, you know, as you're saying, thinking about how, like, probably with every production, I would guess there's some sort of growth and learning. So, yeah. for this current production, and, oh, and there's two iterations of this. What's, this, we what's talk the story about, that's happening right now? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you were in the national tour, and yeah. now you just came back and you've rejoined the Broadway shows just recently, just yeah. June 7th. So, yeah, like, what what's this experience been like? What is the chapter heading of this particular experience? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Uh... I love questions like this. I think that the the chapter heading of the tour was what it means to be a leader or or what it means to be out front. And a lot of the shows that I had done up until Matilda, I was the like first date. I was like the comic second. So, so long as I was funny, like, people would have a good time at the, at the piece. I wasn't the central character of the piece or the central obstacle of the piece. I was an obstacle, and it was kind of like um, a fun side story. Um, and I could have an off night, but the captain of that, of, um, of that piece, or the captains, I should say, were Zach and Krista. Um, with... With Matilda, and in a way, I could kind of rely on them if I was kind of shaky or whatever. My job was to set them up mm-hmm. so that it was their story being told. With Matilda, what I think is different is that as kind of the central obstacle of the piece, um, I the task and the challenge is to be good uh, when there's kind of no one else to look to, to hitch my performance to, to um, compare myself to, or to, uh, I don't know, I think selfishly early in my career, I wanted to, I was doing side characters, but I was kind of like chewing the scenery so that I could kind of pull focus. Um, And I don't have that luxury at at this juncture. I think the character absolutely has a, a splinters in her teeth aspect to it um, and it's wild and it's zany and I think that's one of the reasons why it's working well for me um, and why people seem to be responding is that I think that that kind of clownish aspect of, of my ability is in there and comes out during the performances but I um, if I'm bad it means the play is going to be bad mm-hmm. so there's a lot of pressure yeah and then dealing with that pressure, and then also, too, kind of the offstage dynamics of it as well, of I'm from the, or, or, or of the opinion, having only really done professional theater, I didn't have, like, the growing up in the regional theater world and going to the theater camp or whatever. What I have seen is that the leads in the show establish the social rules for what happens offstage. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a big responsibility. In other shows that I've done, where I'm a supporting character, I don't have the responsibility of setting those those paradigms or that those social codes. And let's talk about also the cast. Ton of kids in this cast too. This is yeah. a unique dynamic too. Yeah, and yeah. then how like how do the adults interact with the kids? Sure. How do, how do they? How do the inter- adults interact with? Are these kids? Is it is it more difficult working with kids, or are they more well behaved than other adults? Ah. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I think that the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> On any given day, you have good days, you have bad days. Yeah. You have good days, you have bad days. Like to to any sort of generalization wouldn't necessarily capture the nuance of it. Mm-hmm. I will say what I have enjoyed about doing a show with kids, which Matilda is obviously with kids. Leap of Faith was with kids, and we did Peter Pan for NBC that had kids in it. <clears throat> when kids are in the building, everyone, by and large, is on their best behavior. That's and that's really nice. Yeah. It's really nice, because it just sets up a... Every, the adults are acting like adults. Yeah. And if an adult starts acting like a child, there are kind of consequences mm-hmm. from a... From a um, you are... If there's, like, a diva in the cast, and she's blowing through people and being rude and throwing things off stage and whatever and she does it in front of the kids there's a kind of instant realization that oh these kids are looking at me as to how an adult is supposed to act in the workplace kind of like when I bring my daughter to anything mm-hmm. people tend to clean up their language Have your, how old are your kids? Uh, six and a half five and two so did the six and a half did she come see the show? they did actually did. both the uh, yeah so it's girl boy girl okay. the the oldest girl and the the middle boy they saw it in Los Angeles so what did they say? Uh, they had a great time yeah they, yeah did people always ask like oh were they scared? yeah that's and, what I was wondering um no because no. They know, they, they know it's dad being silly. Right. I've only ever been a professional actor as long as they've been alive. Mm-hmm. And I've done a bunch of different kinds of pieces mm-hmm. that, that we have brought them to and that they've seen. Um, so, yeah, I think, that, I think that they're very much aware of the person that dad plays on stage is dad doing play acting, not like... I don't know you anymore. I don't think that I'm like violating some deep right. sacred trust. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure you're not. I'm sure they enjoyed it. Now, one of the messages of the show is about destiny mm. and like being able to change your destiny. Yeah. And so I was wondering for you how you know you've been you interpret that or apply that to your own life or what your thoughts were on that. Changing your destiny. I think um, destiny is a very kind of like romantic word that is I hear it in my mind and it's in the Dis- the Disney script mm-hmm. like the like loopy letters and it's something that uh, like would be used in like a Barbie product catalog like the car of destiny <laughs> so it's kind of like um, pie in the sky romantic idea and I think what the show does really well and, and which is something I respond to is, is just this idea of Oh God, I'm going to sound like a Republican National Convention, but like personal responsibility. Like M- Matilda has really overwhelming circumstances, but she doesn't let, she makes the decision in her own heart and in her own mind. She doesn't let the external circumstances dictate who she is going to become. She doesn't become an alcoholic and blame her parents and be like, well, it's not my fault. Uh-huh. My parents were jerks. It seems like in today's society, that is not okay, but kind of indulged uh-huh. in a way. Absolutely. And so that changing your destiny to me is like, yes, if that's our definition of destiny, that your destiny is, you are the captain of your ship and destiny is who you are going to become 
I love that the message is she's taken responsibility for what she has power over and um, is making healthy decisions for her success and prospering. Yeah, it's inspiring for sure. Totally. And she, uh, she, she doesn't get enmeshed with her parents. She doesn't try to change her parents. She doesn't um, try to please Miss Trunchbull. No. She can kind of suss out, okay, this person's crazy, and um, my goal, explicit, I guess it's kind of implicit from the script, my goal is to read and gain wisdom and knowledge, and that's something that's important to me, and so I'm just not going to deal with that person. The dad says, we're going to Spain, and... uh, Miss Honey says, let Matilda stay with me. And Matilda doesn't go, but I thank you so much, Miss Honey, but my dad really needs me because without me, like, he's going to get beaten up by the Russians. Mm -hmm. She lets the dad make his mistakes and is like, actually, Deuce's dad, this woman is going to take way better care of me. So she brings, even though she's five years old, she embraces, like, being a grown-up about her own life. There's definitely a maturity, a sense of maturity to that character. Yeah. For sure. That, like, adults can... Maybe that's why it transcends so many generations. Yeah. It's like, a kid can relate to the show, an adult can relate to the show. Yeah. Uh, the show runs through January. That's right. Do you know what you're going to do after? Absolutely. Yeah? Oh, my gosh. And it's keeping me up at night. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> what are you doing? Pretty soon, mm-hmm. like, within the next few months, yeah. Meredith and I are going to buy mm-hmm. a Class C RV... Uh-huh. It's the one with, like, the bed over the top of the cab. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, the show ends January 1st. Yeah. Uh, in September, October, November, we're going to rehab it, the RV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe take, like, little day trips to the, I don't know, Ithaca or something like that. Uh-huh. And then starting January, we're going to take a six-month RV adventure around the country oh my god that's amazing stopping in national parks stopping and seeing friends stopping and seeing family and just totally getting off the grid for six months wow um you planned it out your route are you still working on that uh yes we've Uh loosely planned out a route we don't know how long we're going to stay at each particular location Uh but um uh and then uh, at the end of that, we're going to settle back in Southern California. So it's a long, protracted move. Oh, so back you're going to back Southern to California. California. We, are, we are. The parents are getting older, and yes. the it was an interesting part about the tour last year is we spent three months on the West Coast, mm-hmm. the first three months of the of the, um, the tour, and uh, seeing the kids with their grandparents kind of day in day out was like, I think that the. I think that work is going to be there. Yeah. I think that, like... Do you think you're going to try and do more film or TV? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's the goal. The goal is to settle in Southern California and do television, 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 maybe film. I'm not... There are some actors who are like, I only want to do artsy films. I don't really care. I think think because I came to this so late, Mm -hmm. like, I did my first professional production when I was 24. Which is pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, just to start that late. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of natu- natural talent, you know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that it, it was like, I think there was a lot of favor, like divine favor on, on my career and, and what has brought me to here today. Um, 
But I also, I think, to be the actor that I am right now, I'm only this actor if I had those first 23 years of experiences that had nothing to do with theater. That had nothing to do, like, actually being yelled at by a person in a position of authority and feeling those feelings and, or like actually getting in trouble with the law. Mm-hmm. You did? I mean, everyone <laughs> does, but I, you <laughs> know, <do>. definitely, <laughs> I, I don't have any J, I don't have any <laughs> I wasn't like play acting that in a play when sure. I was 15. They're, they're in like, kind of like learning bad technique. Because mm-hmm. when you're 15, you're completely unable to approximate what Willie Loman's going through. Like, what, what, what? That's, that to me is, it's too much too soon, it's too... And then for the kid to just kind of survive, it creates this like bizarro universe that I don't think is super helpful for creating a sense of realism on the stage. Well, I think it's totally exciting. I'm excited to see the third chapter. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And you know what? And Who knows what's going to happen? We could go on this RV adventure, and then three months into the adventure, as I've gotten away from the the uh, like hamster in the wheel of like, I got to audition, I got to have people like me, I got to be in the Broadway show, I got to be in the... I may be like, acting stupid. What have I been doing for the last ten years? Like, yeah. you might carp- have a huge realization. Carpentry's where it's at. Yeah. Or I yeah. want to be a plumber. You yeah. know, it's, it could be. So do us all a favor, okay? Because you're not on Twitter, you're not on Instagram. Like, get okay. up on something. We want to see that. We want to see this trip. We want to see this like see the trip. six month trip. Well, yes. Interestingly, and you this is, get some I know there. this is so this is so unfun and it, it's so uh, probably way more information than you or the audience wants to know but no part, such thing no such thing no such thing part I, I tell you what I'm actually not gonna do that because <laughs> part of the reason of going on this we're, we're calling it a Sabbath or I'm calling it a Sabbath which is like you know in biblical terms the day of rest sure where you you the world's gonna spin without you the world's gonna turn without you and you just rest and then in that rest you just like What's going to happen? You're going to open your heart and open your mind. You're not distracted, blah, blah, And I know myself. And if there's a prospect of, like, people want me to entertain them, like, I'm going to do that. I'm totally going to do that. That's That has been my posture, my soul posture for the last 10, really 15 years of my life. And so I'm most excited about putting myself in a position where I'm consciously not doing that seeing what's there like kind of in a way like finding out who i am again oh it's it's beautiful it's something i've been considering myself so yeah. i love this i love this i enjoy it enjoy it and i you know what I, you know what i'll do is i'll 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 write a blog once i get to southern california like okay. once All the, right. once the thing is done you know, yeah. yeah or if people are like way interested then email me in okay August of 2017. <laughs> I'm going to reach out. I'll like, be like, how'd it go? Hey, remember me? A buddy, uh, interesting. A buddy of mine, Jedediah Jenkins, did a, a really cool thing where he did a bike trip from, oh, where was it? It was from like Pacific Northwest. He might have even started up in BC. And he went all the way down the North America and South America. And, wow. And ended in Patagonia, I think. Wow. That's and he, he like, and he's, he's sort of a fancy in that, like, 
Sophia Bush we rode with him for a little while and yeah. Jason Russell from Invisible Children rode with him for a little while yeah. and these are ironically these are all friends of, of ours from college okay. not Sophia I didn't know her but yeah. um, uh, and the the trip that he took um, the, the as he set out was to like do this wild trip document it and then write a book and then here he is now I mean he's been done with this trip for I don't know six or seven months and and like he's having a hard time writing it down yeah because I, I, I wonder I wonder if the reason he's having a hard time writing it down is because he realized in that trip of like I think actually that trip was for me I don't know that that trip was for other people Mm-hmm. And then writing it down is now becoming not a diary for himself, but yeah. something that's put upon him. Yeah. yeah. Writing stuff, you got to have inspiration. Like you can't. Yeah. It's hard to. Yeah. But you have you'll you'll have six months. You'll have the rest of your life to think about. You'll have those memories. I will. You can do something at any given point with it. And I'm fully aware too. Like putting yeah. it all in perspective, it's I'm. I have been on the ups and downs of theater here in New York. I've been like fancy like during hair and then I've been like nobody cares about me like no one wants to do anything and with me like at the end of 2012 um and I'm so acutely aware of like no like two three weeks into my trip like no one could care and and getting to the place from a soul position where I'm like and that's okay that's totally okay um that's uh that's the space that I'm leaving myself to take this trip. Well, I love it. I'm super excited for you. Cool. It's almost time for us to go, but I do have a yes. little game that I play. I love called, it. Let's play it again. Called Speed Through. Okay. I'm just gonna rapid fire some questions. Okay. No thinking about it, just quick answers. Okay. Got it? Yeah. <laughs> Morning person or night owl? Morning person. What do you have for breakfast today? Uh a croissant, but like a breakfast sandwichy thing with um, a croissant with eggs and cheese and bacon and coffee. For, just for the audience right now, he has his eyes closed. He's really deep in thought. I love this. I just want to make sure that I'm on <laughs> no, no, the wall. No, no, for everything. Yeah. taking this seriously. I appreciate um, this. Biggest pet You know why? Because I'm like massively competitive, which is also part of the, the Sabbath thing. It's like, I'm realizing that this both feeds me and eats me. Yeah. Biggest pet peeve. People who stand in the doorway on the subway trains. <laughs> Three things you can't live without. Uh, I think my phone. Unfortunately, these are this is like partly like confession and then partly like oh yes, yes, your question. Um, my smartphone, um, uh, guitar, some sort of music making device, and I I, I can't live without. Uh, Meredith and the kids. Does that count? Sure. Yeah, family. One word. Okay. If you had a betta fish, what would you name him? We had a betta fish. Oh, what would you name it him? It died. Uh, Purple Princess. Oh, really? <laughs> New York, I, this is, I think you might be the one of two guests that's given me the, this answer to okay. this question. New York City or L.A.? Right now, New York, because we're here. Okay. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel? Fallon. If you were going to dinner at Allison Case's house, what would you bring? Oh, something like, well, she, every day she eats salmon and greens, so it's probably salmon and greens. One word that sums up your experience in Matilda. Intense. One way you live life to the fullest every day. Uh, 
trying to be the best that I can be at whatever it is that I'm doing. Perfect. Thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter.